everyone, I hope you're all doing well and welcome back to episode number six of the Criminal Makeup Podcast. Each episode we dive into the minds of some of the worst criminals in history and today we are going to be talking about the case of Jamie Asuna. So, Jamie Asuna, where do I even begin? When I first started looking into this case last year, I was shocked. And that is an understatement. Jamie Asuna's crimes were some of the most horrific I'd ever seen. So much so that some of the details haven't even been released to the public because they're just that horrific. And I couldn't get my head around this. I was reading about these truly sadistic acts that Jamie had carried out, but I couldn't find an explanation to any of it. Why did he do it? So I really fell down the rabbit hole on this one. I was completely fascinated. This case hadn't really received that much coverage online. It wasn't talked about that much. So I tried to find every single piece of information that I could get my hands on. I was so engrossed in this case. I mean, literally, cases like this are the reason I chose to study criminology. I wanted to get my head around the way Jamie Asuna's mind worked. What drove him to do the terrible things that he did? What was the answer? So prepare yourselves for this one. There are a lot of twists and turns, a lot to unpack. And there are actually quite a few updates on this case since I first covered it on YouTube. I know, this is the first case where I can finally give you some updates in the end. So make sure you stick around to hear those updates. But before we get into today's case, I do have to give a warning. Like I mentioned, the nature of Jamie's crimes are very sadistic and brutal. And I will cover some of the details of these crimes, the details that have been made public anyway. But this case also touches on child abuse, domestic abuse, self-harm and animal abuse. So please be aware of all of that before you continue listening. So yes, prepare yourselves for this one because it is intense. Buckle up. Jamie Asuna was born on the 7th of March, 1988. So he was a Pisces and I'm pretty sure he's the first Pisces we've done. And Jamie grew up in Bakersfield, California, which is where today's case takes place. His mother was Michelle and the name of Jamie's biological father is not actually known. And Jamie also had an older half brother. I don't think we know his name either, but it doesn't really matter. Um, and Jamie's older brother was two years older than him. Michelle gave birth to Jamie when she was 19 years old and Jamie's biological father was 21. And Michelle and Jamie's biological father had got married a year prior to Jamie being born and their relationship was troubled from day one. Jamie's biological father wasn't a very nice man, let's just put it like that. He was very abusive towards Michelle and she hoped by having Jamie, who was their first child together, would kind of put him on the right track, would make him see sense, would make him grow up and be a father and be a good person. That never seems to work out though, does it? And even when Michelle was pregnant with Jamie, the abuse didn't stop. There was one incident where Jamie's biological father kicked Michelle in the stomach when she was nearly full term. And this caused actual physical damage to Jamie in the womb. And you can actually see this physical damage on Jamie on his ear. He has like a cleft and God knows what other damage could have been caused that you can't physically see. And just over a year later, they did end up getting a divorce. And not long after the divorce, Michelle actually met another man 
which as you can imagine, didn't go down well with Jamie's biological father. And this new man that Michelle had met was called Jeff and things were going very well between them. Things were escalating very quickly. But like I said, Jamie's biological father didn't take this too well and there was a little incident. So what did he do? Um, he decided to hold a knife to Jeff's throat and he actually did get arrested for holding a knife to Jeff's throat but no other details are actually known about this incident so I can't tell you anything else that happened I can't tell you if he went to prison I can't tell you for how long I don't even know what the knife little situation was about and I don't even know if Jeff was hurt or not but what I can tell you is that Jamie's biological father does leave the story now we actually don't hear from him again so now that Jamie's biological father is out of the picture he's out of the story Michelle can properly move on with Jeff and that's what she does she goes and gets married to Jeff she moves in with Jeff and she takes takes her two sons with her, Jamie and Jamie's half-brother. And the family were not very financially well off. They definitely had to scrape by. But the financial situation wasn't the biggest worry for Michelle and the family. Uh, Michelle could tell straight away that Jeff didn't want to live with her sons. Basically, Jeff wanted Michelle but he didn't want her sons. And Jeff did not take on the stepfather role at all like at all. He was not a very good stepdad. And it's very unfortunate that Michelle has just left an abusive man and she's gone into the arms of another abusive man. And I don't know if he's worse, but I don't really feel like you can get much worse than Jeff. Now the full details of all of the abuse that happened is not actually known. We only know the details of a few significant incidents. And this alone is horrific. It's terrible gonna warn you now the next bit is not easy to hear and Jeff deserves to burn in hell and I don't say that lightly. The first known incident was when Michelle and Jeff went on a fishing trip and they did take Jamie with them and I'm not too sure where Jamie's older brother is. I don't know he didn't come into the story. He may have been there, he may have not and this is when Jamie was really young. He was still an infant and they traveled by car and Jamie was in a car seat. And on the journey home, Jamie was upset for whatever reason. He's an infant, they cry, they get upset. And he kept crying and screaming from the back of the car. And Jeff didn't like this. He got so annoyed with Jamie. He just wanted Jamie to shut up. So in response to this, whilst they are still driving, Jeff leans over to the back of the car he opens the door and he pushes Jamie in the car seat out of the moving car. And amazingly, Jamie survived because I wouldn't have thought a baby, an infant would have been able to survive this. But he was in a car seat and when Jeff pushed him out, the car seat did land upright. And what is completely shocking is that there was no visible injury to Jamie. But even more shocking, because there was no visible injury to Jamie, Michelle and Jeff decided to not take him to hospital. Now, I don't know if this was Michelle's decision. I don't wanna lump her into this. It may have been, I don't know. It was definitely Jeff's decision, but I don't know if it was the two of them together. But you've just pushed an infant out of a moving car. <laughs> <laughs> Do you not think you should take them to hospital? And later on in Jamie's life, it actually was discovered that he did suffer damage from this little incident. Brain damage, to be exact. Yes, Jamie suffered brain damage from this little incident, which is never a good sign, is it, in these stories? Brain injury? Nope. 
And it wasn't just Jamie that was suffering at the hands of Jeff. Jamie's older brother was also being abused as well. And again, we don't know many of the details of the abuse that happened to Jamie's half-brother, apart from one where Jeff threw a fork at Jamie's half-brother and he ended up actually stabbing him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And following this incident, Jamie's half-brother actually moved out of the house permanently and he went to live with his grandparents. And I don't know how old he was when he moved out of the house, but he's only two years older than Jamie and Jamie is still very young. So he can't be any older than like seven maybe. But when he did move out and go and live with the grandparents, he actually managed to live a very stable, relatively normal life from that moment onwards. However, the same cannot be said for Jamie. He didn't go and live with his grandparents. He had to stay and live with his mom and Jeff. Now, I know you're probably thinking like, why the hell would the grandparents take one brother but they wouldn't also take Jamie. Well, it's actually rumored that the grandfather hated Jamie and he hated Jamie ever since he was a toddler and no one really knows why. And it has been reported, which truly just breaks my heart, that Jamie, when he was a child, he used to pray that he would also be allowed to go and live with his grandmother. Instead, he was forced to continue on living in an abusive household. And I truly don't know why they decided this, but Michelle and Jeff decided to have children together because Jeff's such a good father and all. Well, they went on to have two more children. And what is actually strange, or maybe it's not strange, I don't know, but Jeff was actually a really good father to his own children. He was amazing. He was there for them. He cared for them. He loved them. And it has been said that when he had his own children and the love that he had for his own children only made him hate Jamie more. And Jeff would single out Jamie and the abuse only got worse. Jeff actively tried to make Jamie feel isolated and alone in this household and he definitely succeeded in that. And this was most apparent at family meal times because when the family would sit down to eat dinner, all of the family had food apart from Jamie. Jamie was made to sit at the dinner table without any food and just watch everybody else eat when Jamie was starving himself. And then when the family had finished eating, Jeff would put Jamie's food on the floor. Yeah, I know, he's sick, isn't he? He would make Jamie eat on the floor like a dog. As well as this, Jeff would shut Jamie outside in the cold and this would be a form of punishment. There was one time where Jeff had locked Jamie out in the pouring rain and he had no shoes, no socks on and Jamie was banging on the door shouting and crying, let me in, let me in. And Jeff was just upstairs looking out the window, just laughing at him, taunting him. But no one was answering Jamie's calls. No one was letting him in, not even his own mother. And then Jeff got the window. Um, it said that he did this on purpose, but I don't know how he would have known that this would have happened, but I don't know, maybe he did do this on purpose, but he got the window and he shut it so hard that he actually smashed and the glass fell onto Jamie and cut him all up everywhere. And his injuries were that bad that Jamie this time was actually taken to the hospital. And there was one incident where Jamie is five years old. Jamie had accidentally spilt some juice on the floor. And of course, Jeff got really mad at this. So what did he do? When I first heard this, I actually cried because it's horrific and nobody should go through this. So Jeff took Jamie and tied him to a tree and began whipping him with 
his bout until he would bleed. And thankfully, his mom did step in at this point and call 911. But of course, Jeff knew that 911 had been called. So by the time the police arrived, Jamie had been untied. But the police could see the marks on Jamie's body and they did arrest Jeff. And when the police questioned Jeff, he said that he was just kidding around and that he had only hit him once. But regardless, the police charged Jeff with child cruelty, which he did plead guilty to. But get this, Jeff was home within days of this incident. How does that work? How does one get charged with child cruelty, plead guilty, but then allowed home? back to the home where that child is that they were abusing. How does that work? Regardless of if he was released or not, whatever, I don't think he should have been, but whatever, he categorically should not have been allowed to go back to the house where Jamie was. And I can imagine that Jamie felt so alone, so isolated, just no one was there, not even his own mom. No one was fighting in his corner. And don't get me wrong, I know that he has done you'll find out he has done some absolutely terrible things, but that still does not take away from the fact that he had an absolutely horrific childhood. And I even read that Jamie's uncle threw a brick at him. I didn't really know where to fit that in in the story and I don't quite know where it happens either in the timeline, but literally every single person was against Jamie. His mom never stuck up for him. His grandfather hated him and his grandparents didn't take him in like they took his brother. And Jamie would quite often go up to his mom and ask her, why is she choosing Jeff over him? Why is she always putting Jeff first? Why is she never standing up for him? And Michelle could never really give an answer. And I can't tell you exactly why Michelle never used to stand up for Jamie, why she would never get involved. However, I have heard her in interviews and she would talk about the fact that Jeff was also abusive to her and she admits that she didn't handle the situation very well at all. And I don't really know the extent of the abuse towards Michelle, but we all know Jeff's character by those few incidences. So I can imagine the abuse to Michelle was also horrific. The only thing that we do know about Jeff's abuse to Michelle is that he would whip her with his belt and he would literally, literally pour salt into her wounds. So now we're going to jump ahead a few years. Jamie is now 12 years old and he's becoming more aware of what's going on because all of the abuse that happened to him like when he was really young, unfortunately when children go through abuse like this, they think it's normal. They think that that is just the way of life. But now Jamie's 12 years old, he's becoming more self-aware and he's realizing that this this is not right. Again, he's continuing to ask his mom, like, why am I being abused? Why is this happening? And Michelle doesn't have any answers for Jamie as always, but because Jamie is so persistent with this, eventually he moves in with his grandparents. And I don't know whose idea it is. I don't know who arranged it. I don't know, but Jamie is thankfully finally out of the abusive household. And you would hope that now Jamie is out of this situation, that he would start to heal, that he would start to recover. However, this wasn't the case. Michelle said that even though Jamie was now out of the abusive household, he was still completely detached from the world. It's like everything had just been sucked out of him. He had no affection left in him. Too much damage had already happened happened physically, emotionally, and you've got to put that on top of the fact that he does actually have brain damage as well from that car seat incident. Not much is documented on Jamie's life when he was living with his grandparents. However, when Jamie is 15, 
he does end up in prison for stabbing another boy. And Jamie did end up spending four years in, well, he would have been in juvie. Um, he did end up spending four years there. And because Jamie had gone to prison, this was the thing that finally made Michelle wake up and realize that she needed to get out. She needed to leave Jeff. And she did, she left him, she got away from him. But Jeff actually died a few years later after Jamie went into prison. So Jamie was still in prison when Jeff died. He died of a heart attack. And just to add some context, because I felt like I had to, it wouldn't be fair if I didn't say this. I also found out that Jeff was also abused as a child. Not that that is any excuse because what Jeff did to Jamie is inexcusable. Jamie was eventually released from prison on the 14th of September 2007 and he was now aged 19. And it's not exactly known exactly what Jamie got up to when he was released from prison. We know that he was unemployed and it is rumored that he did get involved in some gang activity. And then a year later in December 2008, Jamie went to a house party and this was a pretty significant house party because he met his future wife there. And we're gonna call her Jane. That is not her real name, but we're gonna call her Jane to protect her identity. Now, Jane was a 37 year old single mom and we know of three children. I don't know if she had more. And on this particular night, it was Jane that was hosting the house party for her 16 year old son's birthday. And this was a pretty big party that was being hosted in her home, which was in quite a middle-class uh, neighborhood in Bakersfield, California. And as you can imagine, it's for her 16-year-old son. So there are a lot of teenagers at this party. And Jane has even said herself that she was trying to be the cool mom. She was supplying alcohol at this party. And obviously a lot of the people at this party were underage and she was partying herself. She was getting quite drunk. And Jane was just having a good old time. And she starts dancing with this younger man and her nephew sees this and he does not like this at all. He doesn't want his aunt dancing with a young man. I don't know how old this man was, but he was younger. And this is where Jamie Asuna enters the story. And I don't know how Jamie ended up at this party because he didn't know Jane. I don't know if he knew Jane's son. I don't think he did, but it seems like he was a friend of a friend and that is how he was at the party. Jane's nephew is looking for somebody at the party to essentially scare off the young man that his aunt Jane is dancing with. And who does he come across? Jamie. And I don't know if he knew Jamie or just knew of Jamie, but Jamie offered up his services to go scare off this young man. But when he makes his way over to Jane, who's dancing with this young man, he goes through the kitchen and he grabs a knife. He then heads over to Jane and this young man and he starts threatening the young man saying like, essentially get away from Jane or I'm going to stab you. And one thing led to another and Jamie does actually stab this young man that Jane is dancing with. Luckily, the stab wound wasn't serious. It didn't go too deep, but the police are called because of this incident and Jamie is arrested for violating parole and also of course assault with a deadly weapon. Police also issue Jane a citation because obviously she's hosting a party and supplying alcohol to minors. And that is how Jamie met his future wife, which we will get onto how they became husband and wife in a minute. But yes, that is how Jamie met his future wife, Jane. They were complete strangers until this party and the first time Jane ever met Jamie, was when he stabbed a man she was dancing with. 
That's a good way to meet your husband, isn't it? Okay, so Jamie is now back in prison and when he's in prison, he decides he wants to pursue Jane. Clearly she made some kind of impression on him from this party and he wanted her. So he started to write her letters. I mean, I don't want to judge, okay? I really don't want to judge, but Jane uh, responded. <laughs> I think the stabbing was red flag number one, but uh, okay. But anyway, the two start writing back and forth. They develop this kind of relationship from prison and they develop a relationship so much so that when Jamie is due to be released in November, 2009, just under a year after the party. So they've been communicating for quite a while. Uh, Jane actually goes and picks Jamie up from prison. So when Jane goes to pick Jamie up from prison, she was in for a shock because Jamie had started to get his facial tattoos. He had gone into prison with absolutely no facial tattoos and he had come out with the smile the joker smile and also kind of like uh i don't really know how you describe it it's kind of like just on the one eye clown horns something just on the one eye and this is just the beginning of what he looks like now but anyway jane was quite shocked when she saw jamie so anyway jamie gets into her car and he says uh do you want to go to a motel and jane is like uh yeah why not let's go do it quite literally and they spend the night together and Jane thought that this was just going to be a one-time thing they just needed to get it out of their system and they would go their separate ways and move on however Jane actually fell pregnant from this one night encounter it only takes one time kids and when Jamie found out that Jane was pregnant he wanted to step up he wanted to actually be involved he wanted to be a father he wanted to be the father that he never had and he was really excited about having a child and he convinced Jane to give their relationship a go because he wanted them to be together he wanted to raise the child as a little family and it starts off all great Jamie is there for Jane he's very attentive giving her everything that she wants and needs and then Jamie proposes to Jane because he said that he was old-fashioned and he wanted to be married before they brought their child into the world and this is what happened Jamie and Jane got married in February 2010 just three months after she fell pregnant and it was just a small ceremony and it was hosted at Jamie's grandmother's house. However things start to go downhill from here Jamie stops being the caring attentive partner and he starts to become both mentally and physically abusive to Jane. And this carried on into Jane's later stages of pregnancy. And there was one particular incident that things got so bad that Jane had had enough and she actually called the police. So Jamie and Jane were having a really heated argument. Don't know about what, doesn't matter. But Jamie, I don't know why the hell he would do this, but in response to this argument, he got so angry that he grabbed the ashes of Jane's mom that she kept and ran out of the house with them. Takes a special someone, doesn't it, to steal someone's ashes. Seriously, why? Jane took the death of her mother understandably very hard. And I think this is why Jamie did this because he knew that this was probably one of the things that would hurt Jane the most. So this was the incident that Jane called the police. The police came out, they arrested Jamie, 
but they never actually recovered Jane's mom's ashes. I don't know what Jamie did to them, but Jane never got the ashes of her mom back. So Jamie was back in prison for domestic abuse. And it was not long after Jamie went to prison that his son was born. So he's not really sticking to the promises that he made, is he, by being a good father. And Jamie roughly spent around six months in prison for what he did to Jane. And then he was released on parole in February, 2010. And Jane decided to to give Jamie another chance. She wanted to see if she could make it work for their child. But as you can imagine, that didn't work out. Also, Jamie around this time started taking meth, which only made everything a lot worse. Jamie became a lot more violent and a lot more volatile when he took meth. And the abuse to Jane just continued. And it got just so frequent and so bad the Jane just became numb to it. It's like she didn't even realize that it was going on. She wasn't even reacting to Jamie anymore. And this probably wound Jamie up more than anything because people like Jamie do things for effect. They do things for a reaction. And because Jane wasn't giving him that, it really frustrated Jamie. So Jamie had a plan that he was going to target somebody else. He was going to target Jane's seven-year-old son, which is not Jamie's son another son. And Jamie shoved Jane's son from the bed onto the floor in front of Jane. And it was just so obvious that he was doing it to get a reaction from Jane because he was looking at Jane like the whole time he was doing it. And he got exactly what he wanted. Jane snapped. Jane went completely crazy. She pulled out a knife on Jamie. She had had enough. It's like, no, you mess with me all you want, but don't touch my children. And Jane has said that when she pulled out the knife on Jamie, she could actually see the fear in his eyes. I don't think Jamie was expecting this. Jamie had finally pushed Jane to her breaking point, And now Jamie just didn't know what to do. He was not expecting this. So what did he do? He called his grandmother, which to be fair, I call my nanny in times of need as well, but <laughs> I don't know why I find that funny that Jamie called his grandmother. Jamie called his grandmother to come and pick him up. And Jamie did leave the house and no harm came to Jane or her children. But after this incident, Jamie didn't stay away for too long. He was back again very soon harassing Jane. But Jane had had enough. Jamie had pushed her to breaking point and she wasn't having this anymore. So as soon as Jamie came back around harassing her, she phoned the police straight away. And Jamie again was arrested and sent to prison for violating his parole. I can't believe how many times Jamie is in and out of prison. And Jamie spends seven months in prison this time until he is released on Halloween 2011. Now, while Jamie is in prison, Jane feels safe, finally. But as soon as he's released, uh, he goes back and starts harassing Jane again. This time, Jamie was harassing Jane over the phone. He kept phoning her. He kept threatening her. He kept telling her repeatedly that he was going to kill her. And then sometimes Jamie would just turn up outside of Jane's home and just stare at her through the window. Jane repeatedly called 911, but every time the police eventually got out to her house, Jamie was nowhere to be seen. There was actually a warrant out for Jamie's arrest, but the police could never find him. And I just want to point out that all of this is happening within the first week of him being released from prison. And then on the 8th of November, just eight days after Jamie was released from prison, Jane received another phone call from Jamie. And this one was a little bit different because all of the other phone calls, Jamie was threatening Jane. But this phone call, he wasn't threatening Jane. He actually said something that Jane wasn't expecting. He said, quote, put on the news, bitch. I just killed a woman at the Morocco motel. 
end quote. And when Jane hears this, naturally she is shocked, but she knows what Jamie is like. She knows that he is capable of murder, so she does phone 911 straight away. Jane was hoping by phoning 911, someone would do something about this, at least go and check everything out and everything, but uh, nothing was done about this. And then just five days after this phone call, a worker at the Al Morocco Motel discovered the body of 37-year-old Yvette Pena. Now the police were called and after they investigated the crime scene, they soon figured out that it was Jamie Asuna that did commit this murder. However, it's actually not being released to the public why they suspected Jamie so soon. But we do know that Jane made that phone call five days prior to this. And it's also likely that Jamie's DNA was all over the crime scene as well. Also, I don't know how the body went five days without being discovered. And I also don't know if the body was even there for five days. All we know is that Jamie phoned Jane and said he'd murdered a woman five days prior to the body being discovered. That doesn't mean though, that he actually had committed the murder at that point. So the police set off to find Jamie, but as always, they can't find him. This is such a common theme throughout all of these stories, not just this one. Police can never find anybody. However, they got a tip off that Jamie was at his great grandparents' house, which he was, and the police finally, after five days, of trying to find him, go and arrest him. When an autopsy was carried out on Yvette, it was discovered that she died from blunt force injuries, also sharp force injuries and asphyxia. She had been found gagged at the crime scene with sharp instruments protruding from her back. Now the crime scene was so horrific that all of the details from the crime scene haven't actually been released to the public. And a lot of the investigators have said that it is the worst crime scene that they have ever seen in their careers. It is believed that Jamie tortured Yvette very sadistically, very slowly before killing her. So the police obviously have Jamie in custody now and they question him about this murder, but he denies all involvement. The police said that they have his confession to Jane about Yvette's murder, but now Jamie is saying that Jane is just lying about this confession and she's only doing it to set him up. Yvette was a complete stranger to Jamie. They were trying to figure out how the hell this happened because it is very rare that people murder a stranger. It's normally someone that you know, but investigators quickly figure out that Yvette kind of looks similar to Jane. And they asked Jamie, did you kill Yvette because she resembles your wife and you wanted to take your rage out on someone that looks like her? But in response to this, Jamie just says that if he wanted to take his rage out on his wife, like why wouldn't he just kill his wife? But regardless, they have enough evidence to charge and arrest Jamie for the murder of Yvette Pena and he goes to jail awaiting trial. And Jamie uses his time in jail to get even more tattoos. And of course, while he's in jail, he still can't leave Jane alone. He continues to harass her. He would phone her constantly and he would always say, I'm going to get my revenge on you. He would even get other inmates to phone her and threaten her as well. But not only this, so not only the phone calls and the threatening and everything, Jamie from jail tries his hardest to get Jane's children taken off her. What? Like, I don't, <laughs> why? I know why, because he knows that that is what's gonna hurt her the most. He repeatedly writes to Child Protective Services and he does this for months. And each time he's making up stories saying Jane is doing this and Jane is doing that. And I don't know how, but he would send Jane letters 
written in blood. And a lot of these letters contained satanic language and would also be signed with pentagrams. There was also an incident where Jane received a letter from Jamie and I truly don't know how he did this, but she opened the letter and what did she find? A smashed up dead rat. Mm -hmm. Dead rat. I really don't know how he did this. I don't know if Jamie was able to send this himself. I can't imagine so. Maybe he got someone on the outside to do it for him. He also, <laughs> it doesn't stop there. He also was caught with a letter that was addressed to someone on the outside with instructions on them to kill Jane. Jamie is really not letting this drop, is he? He is really making Jane's life a living hell and it actually turns out that Jane was arrested at some point for child cruelty. And this arrest actually had nothing to do with the claims that Jamie was making. There was an incident where Jane did hit one of her children and she got arrested because that child had told someone and Jamie found out about this and he was like, you know what, I'm going to use this to my advantage. He wanted to try and get Jane killed in prison by another inmate. Somehow, and I don't know how, but nothing surprises me anymore, but somehow Jamie got the cell number of Jane and put a price on her head. Thankfully, he was caught with this letter and nobody actually managed to get to Jane in her cell. But then Jane has actually come out and talked about another crazy incident that happened while she was in jail. And I'm really sorry if this is really confusing. It happened when she was being transferred between court and jail. And it happened when she was put in one of those vans, you know, those vans that transfers prisoners. She was put in the open section and there was another woman in this open section with her, another inmate. But there was also individual cells in this van where other inmates, more dangerous inmates were held. And who was in one of those individual cells, you ask? Jamie Asuna. That, mm -mm, that is not a coincidence. So once everyone is locked up in the van and it's moving, Jamie says to the woman, the other woman that is in the section with Jane, do it now and you'll get the drugs. And this woman starts violently attacking Jane. And Jane was screaming for the guards, for the drivers to stop and break this up to help her. But what did the guards do? absolutely nothing. And the guards weren't sympathetic to Jane at all. She was trying to say, look, my husband is in this van and he wants to kill me. But uh, they just said that she needed to suck it up. And thankfully she did get out of this situation mostly unharmed. And the charges against Jane for the child cruelty were dropped and she was released. But she ended up having a nervous breakdown following this situation. And I'm not surprised. It would be terrifying how close Jamie Asuna got to her and Jamie Asuna at a later date has actually said to a guard that he wished he'd killed his wife that day in that van. And whilst all of that is going on between Jane and Jamie, Yvette Pena's family are still waiting for the murder trial. And this was deeply distressing for the family because they had to wait for a very long time. And Yvette Pena was a loving mother of six and her family had suffered a huge loss when Jamie murdered her. Now, Yvette had quite a troubled life. She had quite a troubled childhood, but she was so caring and she was so motherly and she was so close to her sister. She basically raised her sister and her sister is heartbroken. She's absolutely torn apart. Yvette was completely innocent and Jamie just without regard 
took her life and took her from her family way too soon. When I said that Yvette's family had to wait a very long time for the murder trial to happen, I wasn't joking. They had to wait five years. The case just kept getting pushed back and delayed and there were so many different court appearances and each time Yvette's family would go to court for all of these appearances and obviously they had to come face to face with Jamie and Jamie, oh, he just was taunting them. He would just smile at them. He would wave. He would show absolutely no remorse for his crimes. And Jamie continued for the five years to deny his involvement, even though it's so obvious with evidence and everything that he did it. And then a trial date was finally made for the 27th of March, 2017. But then three days before the trial was about to start, Jamie accepted a request to have an interview with a journalist. And what he said to this reporter was completely shocking. But this reporter sat down with Jamie and their plan was to question Jamie to try and get the information to maybe try and make him slip up and admit his guilt. However, Jamie just straight away, they didn't even actually get the camera set up in time, so it's not on camera, but straight away, Jamie just said, I did it, I'm guilty. For five years, he'd been denying all of this. He'd been saying that he didn't do it. And then randomly, three days before the trial, he admits his guilt. So once Jamie had confessed to this murder, the interview still went ahead and the reporter was questioning him, like kind of pushing him to see what else they could get out of him. He started talking about his childhood. This is where he revealed all of the abuse that he went through. Jamie started to talk about how he started to self-harm at the age of 12. He'd said that he become so emotionally detached that that is why he started to self-harm because he wanted to feel something even if it was pain. And this is also the reason why he got so many tattoos because he wanted to feel something. And Jamie trying to chase that high constantly, that is what led him to commit murder. Oh, and Jamie wasn't done there. So after he spoke about all of this, what does he do? He confesses to two more murders. He said that Yvette wasn't the first person that he'd ever killed and that he'd killed two more people prior to her and the first one being when he was only 13. So following the interview where Jamie confesses to everything, his trial still goes ahead three days later. However, in the end, Jamie does take a plea deal and if he was to plead guilty, he would avoid the death penalty and this is what he did. And what is even more frustrating is that Jamie probably planned this all along because people like Jamie like to play games. They like to be in control they like to control all of these different elements and I guarantee you he got a kick out of this but this was one of those cases where the prosecution was actually really upset that they weren't going to trial because they had been preparing for over two years for this trial and the prosecutor also said that if anyone did deserve the death penalty it was Jamie Asuna and obviously now he wasn't going to get it so Jamie was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole and just throughout the whole sentencing because there are clips of Jamie He's just smiling and smirking at Yvette's family. He's waving at them. He's just taunting them. But when Jamie arrives at prison, it is decided that he is way too dangerous to have a cellmate. And when he was in jail as well, he never had a cellmate because he is so dangerous. And there were numerous 
incidents when he was in jail where Jamie demonstrated just how dangerous he was. On numerous occasions he had been caught with weapons. He was constantly threatening other inmates and there was even an incident where he had somehow managed to sneak into another inmate's cell and he attacked them and he stabbed the inmate numerous times including slashing his face and the inmate was injured really badly. I'm not joking there. He had to get 67 stitches and what's just not surprising but sick Jamie actually requested photos of the person's injuries because he's sick and he wanted the photos and he wanted them as trophies and he wanted to be able to relive it thankfully like he didn't get them or anything like that Jamie would also often write messages on the walls of his cell in blood and I don't know how he did this but there was one incident where he had a carton of blood a carton of blood. How does one get a carton of blood? But whatever, he had a carton of blood and he threw it at one of the prison guards. So yeah, because of all of that, and that was all in jail, not in prison, that was in jail. Uh, because of all of that, it was decided that he was just way too dangerous to ever have an inmate. However, all of that changed in March of 2019 when Jamie Asuna was given a cellmate for the very first time. His new cellmate was Luis Romero and he had just been transferred from another prison and he was 44 years old. He had currently served 27 years for second degree murder. He had moved to LA from Guatemala when he was 16 with his mom, but he soon ended up in the wrong crowd. And when he was 17, he was charged with murder after he shot and killed a woman that was associated with a rival gang. However, Luis was nearing the end of his prison sentence. He was actually coming up to be eligible for parole he was soon likely to be released. However, this never happened. In the early hours of the 9th of March, 2019, only 24 hours after Luis was placed in the same cell as Jamie Osuna, Luis Romero was found dead in his cell, along with Jamie Osuna, who was covered in blood. Jamie had brutally murdered Luis and the the scene of the cell, I can't even imagine. And I've got to warn you here, the descriptions of the crime scene are some of the worst I have ever heard. Jamie had somehow gotten his hands on a razor. Jamie had managed to fashion a knife out of a razor and a piece of string and he had attached it to a makeshift handle and he used this to attack Luis. Jamie had used this to cut off one of Luis's fingers. He had also used this razor to cut out his eyes before removing part of his ribs and cutting out one of his lungs. And then somehow, I don't know how, but he used the razor to then decapitate Luis. And then after he carved a joker-like smile onto his face. And Jamie was found in his cell with Luis's dismembered body in the early hours of the morning. And when he was found, he was found wearing a necklace made out of the body parts of Luis. And then on the wall written in blood was the message, I am the man with a thousand faces. And this murder was just so shocking. It was so horrific. It's one of the most horrific murders that I've heard. It's definitely one of the most horrific murders that I've covered on my channel so far. And all of this happened in prison. It's like, how? This prison is supposed to be monitored. And in fact, checks were supposed to be carried out on all of the cells in this prison every 30 minutes. And we all know that this murder took longer than 30 minutes. He only had a little razor and he did so much. There are lots of rumors that it was a setup. And when I first heard that this murder took place and the way it took place, 
I don't know if I watched just too much Line of Duty, but I immediately thought this was set up. There are rumors that Luis was placed in the cell with Jamie for Luis to beat up Jamie. Um, but I originally thought, and there are also rumors of this, but I thought that Luis was put in the cell with Jamie so Jamie could attack Luis. So I don't know which one is true, but there is no doubt in my mind that this was set up in some kind of way. And you're probably thinking, oh no, Danielle, you're just being dramatic. These things don't happen. Well, this wouldn't be the first time that this actual thing has happened in this prison. So they're both in Corcoran prison, which has quite a reputation. And this prison actually has an extremely troubling history. And it is actually known as being one of the most dangerous prisons, definitely in California, but if not in the whole of the US. And I really don't even know how to sum up this prison. I really don't. I could literally do a whole video on this prison. Corcoran prison has also been the home of some very infamous prisoners, Charles Manson probably being the most famous. So to give you a brief history, and I mean brief because I could literally, like I said, do a whole video on this prison, but there is definitely a culture of violence in this prison. And it's not inmate to inmate, it's actually prison guard to inmate. And this isn't just speculation. Mm, there's actually evidence of this happening. One of the worst things that went on in this prison was that the prison guards would actually set up fights between the inmates gladiator style and the guards would take bets on who would win. They would take the inmates into the prison courtyard like it's an actual proper organized event. They would even have a ringside announcer and it gets even worse than this because there's actually footage no lie, there's footage of these fights going on, but sometimes the guards would use these events as an excuse to shoot the inmates. You heard that right. It seemed like they just would shoot whoever was winning the fight so they could use this as an excuse of why they shot the inmate because it was like, oh, we were protecting the life of the other inmates, so we had to shoot them. And over the course of five years, 50 inmates were shot by prison guards at Corcoran Prison and seven of those inmates actually died from being shot. There were also times when certain inmates were placed in certain cells for fights set up. Mm -hmm. Sound familiar? Jamie and Luis. There was even an inmate that had the nickname of the Booty Bandit. And I think we all know what that means. And prison guards would put certain prisoners in the cell with the booty bandit as punishment. And trust me, that is not even the half of it. And as far as I'm aware, no prison guard from this prison that actually did these things ever face punishment. So hopefully that gives you an idea of the culture of Corcoran prison. And there are articles that speculate that the prison has changed and that it's no longer like that. Well then can you please explain to me why Luis ended up in a cell with Jamie Osuna? And there was actually a report that came out earlier this year that went into a little bit more detail actually saying how Jamie could have gotten away with this murder. And it actually says in that article that the guards falsely reported that they had carried out welfare checks on the cell of Luis and Jamie. In fact, they had signed off that all was well, Luis was alive, Jamie was alive, no issues when they hadn't even done the check. It's also reported that Jamie had hung a white bed sheet over the cell uh, so you couldn't actually see in the cell. And it's like, that would have been so obvious. Like as a prison guard, you would have noticed that straight away and you should have done something about it. And I don't exactly know how long the murder took, but it's, it's scary to me that prison guards for hours didn't even check on the prisoners or they did 
and they just allowed this murder to happen. So do you think it's a setup? I don't think you can convince me that it's not. So overall, uh, the culture of the prison doesn't really seem to have changed. Just the tactics maybe, because I don't think the prison guards actually do anything physically themselves anymore. Like I don't think they've shot any inmates for quite a few years but it seems like they just get the inmates to do the dirty work for them. And the case against Jamie for Luis's murder, because obviously we've got another murder case right now, it still hasn't gone to trial. And it could be a very long time before it does go to trial because it took five years for Yvette's murder trial to happen. And also earlier this year, 2021, Jamie Asuna has been deemed mentally incompetent to stand trial. So he can't actually stand trial until he's mentally competent and God knows how long that will take. And a little interesting fact, I'm just not really interested in it's actually creepy and disgusting, but Jamie has also requested the crime scene photos from Luis's murder. He only wants them as trophies. He only wants them so he can relive the murder, which is sick. And thank God a judge denied access to photos. But yeah, that's who Jamie is. He's sick. So what drove Jamie to commit the murders that he did, does it really all stem back to his brain injury from when he was younger and he was thrown out of the car in his car seat? Or maybe it even goes back further than that when his biological father kicked his mom in the stomach when she was nearly full term? Or does it go back to all of the abuse that Jamie went through as a child? Or is he just pure evil? And then we've got the whole situation of was he a Satanist? because obviously he did draw pentagrams. He does have a pentagram tattoo on his forehead and he also would tell people that he was a Satanist. But I don't know if I believe that he was a Satanist. I truly believe that he only said these things for dramatic effect. And like I said at the start of the video, a lot of people have compared Jamie Asuna to the Joker. Was Jamie inspired by the Joker? Well, there are actually a few signs to suggest that he was. First of all, we all know about the smile that Jamie has and obviously the tattoos around his eyes to make him look more like a clown. But it wasn't just a tattoo. It's actually really hard to see from the photos, but Jamie would cut in to the smile tattoo to make it more like the Joker. He also, remember, cut the smile into Luis's face. And he also wrote a letter to the district attorney while he was in prison. And in that letter, he put a photo of the DA in the letter and he drew a smile on the DA's photo, which is very similar to what the Joker does in The Dark Knight. He also signed this letter to the DA with, why so serious? There were even messages that he wrote on the walls of his cell that were quotes from the Batman comics. Was this just a coincidence or was he truly inspired by the Joker? I guess we'll probably never know because it's Jamie and he doesn't really reveal anything that he doesn't want to. He likes to play games with people. And I also think as well that there are a lot of similarities between the characteristics of the Joker and Jamie Asuna. I mean, they're both ruthless, they're both cold, they're both kill without malice, without remorse. And something that I took note of as well is that Jamie seems to be very resourceful. And that's definitely a characteristic, I would say, that the Joker has. And then I feel like there is just so much to this case. Going back to those other two murders that he admitted to, did he actually do them? I mean, obviously he could have because it's Jamie Asuna and I have no doubt that he's capable of more murders. But I am really struggling to believe that he did those other two murders because he did give some details of those murders. He said the approximate ages of the victims. He also gave approximate dates of when he did them. And he also gave like small details of where the crime actually happened. And if there was any evidence of these other murders, I guarantee you the police would have pinned them on Jamie, but they haven't. And I just find it hard to believe that Jamie could have killed two more people 
and not be caught. But of course, this could be an active investigation and maybe he did. I don't know, <laughs> who knows? But I don't think it's too hard to believe either that he made up these murders to come across more notorious, to be feared, to have this reputation. And also Jamie is quite petite in his frame. He's only five foot six and he's going to Corcoran prison, which alone has a very scary, bad reputation, but he's going to prison and there's gonna be people in there that are twice the size of him. And unfortunately, when you are smaller, that tends to be the people that get picked on in prison. So I don't think it's too far-fetched to believe that Jamie maybe made up these murders to come across not as weak. And one more thing that I did find interesting, do you remember Jamie's half-brother who went to live with his grandparents and was saved from Jeff's abuse? Well, he actually went on to be a very successful businessman. He has a family, he has a really nice big home, he drives a sports car, and his life couldn't be more different from Jamie's. And it's just interesting to think that would Jamie have lived a very different life if he was also saved from the abuse like his brother was. And I'm definitely gonna keep an eye on this case because there may be a trial for Luis's murder, so I'm definitely gonna keep an eye out for that. But I also don't think we've heard the last of Jamie Asuna. I just really hope, if that whole Luis thing wasn't a setup, I just really hope that that prison has learned its lesson and never places Jamie Asuna with another cellmate because that's not gonna end well. So that was the case of Jamie Asuna and oh boy, that was intense, wasn't it? Now, like I said in the beginning of the episode, we do actually have some updates on this case. Yes, that's right. This is the first podcast episode where I actually have some updates since I first covered this case on YouTube. Because most of these cases, you don't really see updates that often, especially because most of the cases that I covered are solved. So you don't really see many updates, but we do have some updates for today's case. So I first covered this case back in June of 2021. And then like, we just heard, all we knew was that Jamie Asuna had been deemed mentally incompetent to stand trial for the murder of Luis Romero. And then at this point, after being found incompetent, he was transferred to Sacramento State Prison from Corcoran Prison, where he was then made to undergo a psychiatric inpatient program. So he went through this program and then in July of 2021, just one month after I first covered the case on YouTube, the psychiatrists monitoring Jamie released a report which said he was now competent to stand trial. I know, a pretty significant update. So you're probably thinking, oh, so that means he now stands trial for the murder. I mean, it's now been a year since he has been deemed competent. Well, unfortunately, no, because of course the justice system isn't always that straightforward. Because first of all, Jamie needed to attend a second competency hearing. Because even though psychiatrists have found him competent, he needs to be found legally competent. And Jamie's defense team are still arguing that he is incompetent. So this new trial would officially determine whether or not he was competent to stand trial. So this trial was first scheduled to take place in December of 2021. However, Jamie got himself into a bit of trouble in prison. He was actually given another charge of making terroristic threats. And because of this, the hearing was postponed. So the first delay of many. So next, the hearing was scheduled for January 2022. Did it take place? 
No. This time, Jamie's defense team said that they hadn't been able to spend enough time in prison with Jamie because of COVID restrictions. So again, the hearing was pushed back to March. So March 2022 rolls around and you guessed it, no hearing. This time, Jamie actually just flat out refused to attend the hearing. And I mean, he literally refused to get in the prison van. So the hearing was postponed again to the 2nd of June, 2022. Jamie was scheduled to turn up at this hearing. This time, he actually did turn up at court, but Jamie had one more trick up his sleeve. This time, Jamie fired his whole defense team. He literally turned up at court. The hearing was finally about to start. And then Jamie tells the judge that he's firing his whole defense team. And because of that, the hearing had to be delayed again. And that is the latest update I have for you. This case just keeps on going and going. We are still waiting to find out if Jamie will ever be officially ruled competent to stand trial for the murder of Luis. And I think it's quite clear what is actually going on. Jamie is trying every single tactic possible to avoid this hearing. I mean, I feel like that is quite clear that he's doing everything in his power to not be officially deemed competent. He knows that he's competent. Psychiatrists have said that he's competent. And Jamie knows that if he attends that hearing, he will be deemed competent and then he will have to stand trial and possibly face the death penalty. And even still at this latest hearing that Jamie actually bothered to show up for, Jamie is still showing no remorse whatsoever. He turned up smiling. He was giving thumbs up to people in the audience as if it's just one big joke. Throughout this whole thing, Jamie has always found this just one big joke. And I can't even imagine how completely infuriating that must be for the family. And I just wonder how long is this going to get dragged out for? Will this hearing ever happen? I mean, I feel like Jamie is probably just hoping that it will just disappear, but I don't think that it will. I don't know. Maybe it will. I don't know. And I actually do have one more update for this case. So previously, we didn't quite know why Jamie was even in a cell with Luis because he was obviously deemed too dangerous to have a cellmate, so we don't even know why he was there. Well, we actually might know the answer to this now. In January of this year, 2022, the mother of Luis Romero filed a lawsuit where she claimed the sergeant who placed Luis in that cell with Jamie did so intentionally. It was found that Luis had made a personal complaint about this sergeant, the sergeant that was in charge, and it's claimed that in retaliation to this complaint, the sergeant intentionally put Luis in the cell with Jamie as punishment. Which, if that is true, oh my god, that is absolutely horrific. But the lawsuit is still ongoing. It's actually only just been given the green light to go ahead, so I can't tell you the findings of that lawsuit. But I truly do hope that Luis's mother can get the answers that she's looking for. The family have been through such an absolutely horrific and terrible ordeal, and I just hope that they find justice, and my heart really goes out to them. And I will definitely be keeping an eye on this case, because 
this case is going to be going on forever. And on that note, I think that would be a good place to end today's episode. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening today. Subscribe or follow to make sure you never miss an episode of The Criminal Makeup. And I would love it if you could leave a review. In the meantime, if you've been affected by any of the themes in this episode, please take a look at the description for this episode for some helpful resources. Special thanks to my producers at Audio Boom Studios and I'll see you all in the next one.